Hi, and welcome to another Mehmuni. My guest today is Nima Behnoud. Nima is a fashion designer, an artist, and a creative. He tells a story of Persian culture through his artwork and through his fashion line, and much, much more. As I said, he is very creative. Um, so let's get right into it. Hi, Nima. How are you? Hi, how are you? I'm fine. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me uh, on your podcast. Uh, of course. Uh, we're going to engage in some conversations that some of your listeners can take some valuable points from. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's wonderful to have you on. So thank you for, thank you for being here. Um, may we start with a short introduction of Nima. So who is Nima Behnoud and what is it that you do for anyone listening who may not know? Sure. Uh, so my name is Nima Behnoud and I'm the founder of uh, the brand Nimani. Um, and many have known my brand throughout the years. Uh, in New York, my brand was formed uh, in about 15 years ago. Uh, it started with uh, only t-shirts and slowly grew into jewelry and handbags and scarves and now handwoven rugs and perfumes and watches and other things like that. The main uh, subject matter of the brand is Persian heritage and culture in a complete artistic format rather than uh, any other hidden political message or any source of message. It's, it's purely visual uh, and the brand aims to bring awareness to the to the beauty of Persian culture and uh, to bring a lot of classical motifs that exist in our culture into a contemporary format. Uh, and that's, that's what the brand is all about. I love it. That's fantastic. And it's, it's such a, and you do such a beautiful job at it. And, and, and that's Thank what you, you just said really resonates with me to bring Persian culture to the masses and into the mainstream. I think that's, really important work and you do it so beautifully. So I'm, um, I'm glad that Nimani was created 15 or so years ago. Um, how did you get started in, in design and fashion? Cause I've seen your paintings and, and, and you're, you seem like an all around creative person. So I guess my question is, is this something you always gravitated towards? Did you know you want to start a fashion line or was it something else? Yeah, sure. So I, I grew up uh, as an artist, like, you know, those kids that, you know, they, they're usually much better in illustration than any other kid in school. And they figured, okay, this kid is going to end up in art school kind of a thing. So yes, I was one of those. Um, I, I always loved drawing and illustrations. And, uh, you know, uh, I used to do illustrations on the back of uh, notebooks at, uh, at school for my classmates and all of that. So, but no, I never thought that I would uh, get into the business of fashion uh, because I'm not a fashion designer. I, uh, I went to school and got my BA on graphic design and got my master's in global fashion management, but uh, I never studied uh, pattern making and textile or fashion design in, in general. And that wasn't my interest from the beginning. Um, so as a graphic designer, obviously you're uh, dealing with computer and you're a digital artist. You have to create everything in the computer. And that was really the back foundation of uh, my artistic career. And that slowly got shaped when I uh, 
moved from California to New York, which, which to me was the biggest turning point in my life. And that is why I added NY as New York to my name and, and created Nimani because I felt like the fact that I came to New York at a, a young age empowered a lot of things inside me that uh, it would not have happened if I was in any other city or any other location. Um, so I owe that to New York, uh, obviously. And, and the second part of it is the closest thing and the most uh, dear thing to me was the fact that I grew up in a household that paid so much attention to Persian culture and Persian heritage. Uh, and my parents constantly engage in conversations about art and history. My father is a historian and an author. So uh, he constantly talked about that. And that was in the back of my mind. But I grew up as a normal contemporary teenager, loving Western stuff and TV and music and all of that. And I always thought about how to implement uh, this classical format of Persian art into a life of a contemporary person. Um, and, you know, as you may have known, uh, Persian art is beautiful, but it's always been presented in a very sacred classical format. And uh, it's really rare to see somebody breaking that kind of format because, you know, it, it, it's some sort of a taboo to touch it. You know, it has to be presented in a nice setting, nice museum, you know, only influential people go and take a look at it. But I always wanted to bring a part of that and have skateboarders and, you know, punks in the street and music artists and these kind of people enjoy it. And most importantly, build a relationship and a connection with it. Yeah. Um, and, and that's that's the DNA of Nimani. That's, um, that's amazing. And it's sort of, you sort of touched on my next question, um, and which is, who, who do you want to wear Nimani, who is your ideal audience in your head, or is there an ideal audience, really? Yeah, so um, I know that when you ask this question from major brands, they have a very concrete answer, and they have a demographic that they have studied, and, you know, it's like basically crunching numbers. They put together a, a, a very factual data. For me, it's, it's not like that. I, uh, in the beginning, my audience was myself because I, I grew up as a teenager in Iran and we, we loved all the Western products like Levi's 501s and, you know, Timberlands and all these things. Um, and I always thought to myself, how come uh, we have nothing of our own? There is no label that is an Iranian label. And mm -hmm. if there is, it's not cool enough. You know, it's like some Sanayadasti at some store somewhere. So it's not cool enough. And me as a teenager, I'm not gonna go close to it because uh, it's not gonna make me cool in front of my friends. So this was in the back of my mind as a teenager, but obviously uh, I, I never thought about implementing it or having the power to implement something like that. Slowly, as I uh, got myself involved in the work environment, and especially when I moved to New York, I kind of felt like maybe this is the time for me to give it a shot. Maybe I can do it. You know, I'm, I'm going to try. I'm going to try to take a very classical, serious passage of uh, calligraphy yeah. and turn it into something that kids can wear with the ripped jeans and go in the street and love it. Uh, so I, I gave it a shot in the beginning and uh, to uh, in, in contrary to many 
may have uh, believed, uh, actually Persians and Iranians didn't like it at all. They, uh -huh. they could not connect to it. And uh, for at least maybe three or four years after Nimani was uh, formed and mm -hmm. these t-shirts were out, 99.9% uh, .9 of my audience were uh, people in New York who are into fashion, who are into some sort of a rare or exotic kind of a fashion, mostly my classmates uh, while I was at school. And they, they started buying it. And for me, that was so fascinating because A, uh, they had no clue what that is. Yeah. They didn't even know that's a typography of a culture. They didn't even know you know, there is some sort of a writing. They didn't, some of them didn't even know where Iran is because, you know, you're dealing with like fashionistas in New York. So, yeah, for three, four years, these people bought the T-shirts, gave me the encouragement to look at this as a business rather than as a hobby. And slowly after that, when celebrities started wearing my T-shirts, um, Iranians got comfortable with the idea. Uh, and they started uh, gaining the confidence to connect uh, with this and be like, oh, okay, so if so-and-so is wearing it, it is cool. Um, again, even today, uh, my aim is not towards the Persian audience because mm -hmm. I want to bring awareness on a global scale. Right. And, and I actually pay attention to the feedback that I receive from the non-Iranian audience. Mm -hmm. But uh, that percentage changed throughout the years and now now it's about 50-50 or maybe even more on the on the Persian side. Right. Um, I think that, that that's that's amazing, um, Nima. And and again, it's such a wonderful story about how the business started and how it's developed. Um, if you haven't seen Nima's work or um, his Instagram, I urge you to check it out because it's so, so beautiful and you touch on everything. So there's, there's jewelry, which I absolutely adore. Um, the handbags, the, the t-shirts and in, like you said, the, the perfumes and, um, some, some more artwork that we'll get into, um, soon. So it's, it's amazing what you've created. Um, how did the, how did you decide on the, the visual or the the sort of the hey doches that we see so often on Nimani uh, apparel. Sure. So um, if if I explain to you the formula that we have mm -hmm. at the studio, uh, you are probably going to understand yourself why I use the letter H or the hey in Farsi alphabet. Um, our aim is to create a visual that looks good for a non-Iranian audience. Mm -hmm. Um, so it has to look right as far as the aesthetics go, as balance of a design. Um, it has to be positioned right, meaning that, you know, if, if I'm designing a piece, it cannot, you know, one part of the design cannot fall into uh, somebody's stomach on the t-shirt or things like that. So the positioning, the composition, and the design is important. But the most important thing is I am the only Iranian in our team. So when I design something and everybody has to look at it and make a decision and say if it's good or bad, they all come from this background of not being familiar with the Iranian culture, which is purposely done. Because right. I'm speaking to the global audience and I want the global audience to look at this and tell me what they see in it. Because for me, it's obvious what I see in it. Um, even though it's an abstraction of typography, but I can make sense out of it and I'm too close to the subject matter. So 
Um, because of that, I, I really studied every alphabet to understand that is there an alphabet that I can use that can have a character on its own and uh, immediately when somebody is looking at it, they're not going to say whether this is Arabic or Iranian alphabet. Right. Uh, and and uh, here or, or the H in Farsi alphabet has that character. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's such a mysterious looking thing that first of all, besides us, no one else is going to know that this is part of the Iranian alphabet uh, because it, it's a circle. It has two positive and negative spaces in it. It works perfect in the jewelry. It works perfect in, you know, even the, the cap of my perfumes mm-hmm. are made uh, with, with this icon and it sits perfectly. Um, there, is, there is no hidden message in it. A lot of people uh, are telling me, oh, this is the beginning of the word this or that. It's not. It's right. really not. Um, and uh, it's beautiful. It works. Um, if you really want to dig deep and see where the inspiration came in my mind, um, I can tell you about that as well. I, I, again, I grew up in a household. My father used to have a few pieces from the very famous contemporary Iranian artist, Zenderudi. Uh, and uh, Zenderudi is the only artist, actually, or the first, who had the letter H on its own mm-hmm. uh, as a as a visual element not as a part of another word or a sentence or anything like that and these paintings i grew up with them i looked at them every day and uh, so i guess subconsciously this shape was kind of formed in my mind uh, obviously i stylized it i repurposed it made it look more contemporary and i put it in uh, many different formats. You know, uh, you know when, when you look at this letter on its own, uh, you're not going to think that it's going to work fine as a hardware of a clutch because it's too big. And then you're not going to think, that even when I discussed this with the perfume bottle designers, they were like, this is really challenging because there are two holes in it. Uh, I don't know how we're going to put it together. But we made it happen and it looks good. And that's the most important part of it. That's amazing, Nima. And um, I, I was smiling when you were talking about um, the, the, the Farsi letter He being quite mysterious to anyone who doesn't read Farsi. And I tried to sort of imagine myself as a non-Farsi speaker who can't read or write in Farsi. And, and that is so, so true. It's quite a special um, looking character, which is mysterious. Um, so I'm, I'm happy we learned that little nugget about um, um, Nimani, the brand, and how the logo came about. I'm glad that you mentioned the perfume because Nimani, the brand, has so many elements, uh, starting from your artwork, your paintings, um, and your most recent NFTs or crypto art. May we talk a little bit about the other creative stuff that you do, such as your paintings and the digital paintings, I suppose. Sure. So I, um, I've always done paintings because, uh, you know, I started as a classical artist. So mm-hmm. I, have, I have a lot of drawings. I have a lot of illustrations. Uh, and I started that when I was nine or 10 years old, probably. And so, but I've always done paintings on the side. But my personality is not of a traditional artist. You know, I am, I am way more pragmatic rather than, you know, emotional or imaginative. So I, I'm a doer. 
I like to create things. I like to get involved, get hands on and put things together. So when I put my paintings together, um, I either wanted to immediately have a solo show and put my paintings out there and see if people are going to come and buy them. And if that doesn't happen, those paintings need to be turned into something. They need to show themselves and the manifest themselves into a different format. And again, I was extremely young uh, and I had zero connection when I came to United States and I had all these paintings. It was almost impossible for me to penetrate the art scene uh, at that point. Uh, I didn't even try. So I started you know, framing these and tried to do this on my own and it, it was very difficult. Uh, so immediately the next pragmatic move for me was I'm going to use these as a source of inspiration and I'm going to create them into a wearable art. Well, I'm going to create. So a lot of my t-shirts were based on my paintings. I used the same motifs from the paintings into the t-shirts. And later on, the same thing happened with the rugs, the handwoven rugs, all the art you see on them are my own paintings that I did maybe 20 years before that. Uh, oh, wow. Now they're now they're being woven with silk and wool into a very large, uh, magnificent, expensive piece of uh, rug. So uh, I use the uh, paintings as a source of inspiration. But then later on, seven, eight years after the formation of Nimani and people kind of uh, know me by then, uh, I started doing the solo shows with my paintings. And, and it was well received just because the brand had brand power. Right. Uh, and and that's fine. I mean, I'm I'm necessarily I don't really belong to that scene of uh, gallerist and art and all of that. And that is why I am so excited about crypto art because it, it is so different than the classical art world and and the curators and the gallerists and the collectors. Uh, so recently, uh, I'm just going to transition into the crypto art because that's that's uh, where the conversation lead me. But uh, one thing about yeah. art and uh, artists in the art scene is that majority of the artists got used to somebody selling their pieces for them. Right. Uh, and uh, they never learned the foundations of self-promotions and branding. And right. actually a lot of them are, uh, it, it's frowned upon in the art scene that Oh, an artist that can do self-promotion and branding is really not good because artists have to be quiet and have a certain characteristic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and this is, I was so bothered by this notion that uh, oh, if you're a businessman, you're not an artist or vice versa. And it's not true at all. So the world changed. Today, you see the artists that are serious business people. They understand money, they know value, they're not gonna let anybody take advantage of their art. They're not gonna let anybody sell their art at a low price. They know how to haggle, they know how to hustle, and that's the beauty of it. So that movement slowly led them into create something that is called crypto art, which is uh, a digital art that uh, basically that artist is putting together a unique token uh, NFT stands for non-fungible token, which means yep. the only item that cannot be replicated. Um, e even Mona Lisa painting, if you have a really amazing artist and they may be able to replicate it, it it's a possibility. But an NFT is registered on a, a blockchain language and they, it cannot be replicated. So it's interesting in that sense. But the most important part of it is 
that when an artist creates this a unique asset, they are in charge of selling it. Right. And if a collector buys it from them and they resell it, however many times, the original artist still gets 10% of the proceeds. Oh, by, by the programming, by the default. And that is actually empowering the artist because in the art industry, you see a collector brings an artist, makes that artist famous. Yes, the artist is going to be successful. They're going to have a good financial life. Mm -hmm. But the collector and the gallerist are the ones who are going to have a better life because they're the ones who make this artist famous. They make the majority of the money. They took the majority of the percentage. Now, that uh, whole story has changed and shifted in a way. I'm not saying that today you don't need a gallerist or, or somebody who is really knowledgeable in the art history. You still do. But now your art is so attached to you by the program language of a, of a contract. I mean, I don't want to get too deep into it because it's very technical, but the artist is always going to get a, the 10 or 15 or 20 or however many number that they put into the digital contract off of that art. So uh, it's really amazing notion for an artist. It's, it's quite amazing. And I'm, and I'm really excited about this new world that we're, we're going into because I feel like every day there's something new um, to sort of to look at or to, to learn. I'm just going to read out definition of what an NFT is. So if any of the listeners out there are not quite sure what this means, I've done a quick Google search for you. So an NFT is a non-fungible token it's a unit of data stored on a digital ledger called a blockchain. And this certifies the digital asset to be unique and therefore not interchangeable. NFTs can be used to represent items such as photos, videos, audio, and other types of digital files. And reading this, it just makes sense. Um, Cause I feel like, unless I'm misunderstanding it, this sort of resolves the issue of pirating and intellectual data being taken without um, the creator being credited for their hard work. Correct. Uh, that's that's exactly one of the beautiful aspects of it. But uh, another one that many may not know by just looking at NFTs that digital artists like myself, yeah. graphic designers, and you know people who were behind the computer creating art, they were most of the times they were operators. They were never on a creator seat. They were working for another brand. They were working for another creative director right. and creating imagery for another purpose. Because if they had created that imagery for themselves, there was no platform for that. You know, you know, graphic designers at most, they could just go and get hired and create art for someone else. Yeah. But now NFT has completely liberated that. All these graphic designers who have gained skills for the past 20 years, now they're actually, they have a very important asset. They can get behind the computer, create art, create beautiful animation, put it up uh, as an NFT and sell it. Uh, and, and this never existed before, you know? Uh, and as a result, you can see all these uh, 3D uh, animation classes are all full and all these uh, classes for graphic designers are really uh, hard to get into yeah. and everything is slowly is changing just because of the NFT. 
It's amazing. Um, I, I've looked up a few of your NFTs online and they look so, so beautiful. Um, and I think this whole idea of digital art is quite, um, is very exciting. Of course, it's always, it, it's been around for decades. Um, but the fact that, again, the artists can, can sell their work um, is, is quite beautiful because you can do so, so much more on a computer because the, the the rules of the natural world don't apply it can be it can it can glitter exactly. it can spin it can have music um so i think i'm, I'm really excited for the prospect and, and to see what gets created it's exciting times um nima i have a quick question for you now that we've sort of covered a few areas i i would like to ask you if you have any advice for your younger self, for a younger Nima just starting out or anyone else out there listening who may be in a similar position to you years ago? Um, sure. So um, again, uh, because uh, I was in New York at such a young age, I was forced to look at things in a financial way because it was a very difficult and expensive city to survive. So from the day one, I had to put together an art project that can result in a financial success. Um, I never had the luxury of sitting and creating art for the sake of art and looking at it. Um, and I owe that to New York. Like if I was in anywhere else in the world, maybe I would do that. But here, uh, the margin of error is so small, the judgments are severe, and whatever I do, has to become something of a uh, financial return. Mm -hmm. So because of that, I really was forced to develop that mindset that if you create something, always think about your audience, always think about who is gonna buy it and why are they gonna buy it and how are you gonna give them value? Um, so this mindset was somewhat forced upon me. Now, if I am to give not an advice, but just a tip, to, to the young people out there who want to start in an artistic career, uh, I would suggest that from day one, think like that. Uh, and there is no shame about being a businessman and an artist at the same time. Um, when you create your art, think about who's gonna buy it and why, and how is it gonna give value to someone else? These questions are gonna activate a very important skill set within somebody uh, and that's the ability to turn something artistic into of a tangible asset, whether money or something else. Um, and don't get really lost in the intellectual part of the art because that is beautiful. Inspiration needs to be there. Uh, we have to have imagination, but we need to really balance it with being pragmatic about art. Beautiful. Very, very well said, Nima. Um, you've raised several good points um, and a few that I want to refer back to. Um, the first one being what you said about New York and it being a tough situation. I, I find that oftentimes when you're in a challenging situation, it forces you to, to think creatively. Um, so your challenges can oftentimes be what sets you apart from other people and, and make you think differently, um, as, as Nima uh, said. So challenges aren't always bad. It can, it can be good more often than not. Um, 
And the second thing is the, you know, what you said about not creating art just for creating it. It had to have a purpose for you and, you know, you had to be able to do something with it. Um, I, I think that's quite beautiful because, you know, your, the, the carpets are inspired from a painting that you created 20 years ago. And that history some, somehow like comes through in, in the new work that was inspired by an older piece of work because through years, it somehow gets developed. So it's in a way, 20 years of experience in that carpet or in that t-shirt design, um, which again, I think is, is super beautiful and, and I enjoy the history in that. My next and final question, um, what is the most important quality that you seek in other people? So this could be um, a work partnership, friends, anything really. Uh, yeah, that's that's a difficult one, but uh, obviously all the obvious qualities that are good are good. But me specifically, uh, uh, being reliable, factual, and punctual is very important for me because, uh, again, I'm in an environment that uh, the fact that somebody is reliable or not makes a huge difference. Yeah. Uh, it it really doesn't matter what kind of value they can bring on the table if they're not reliable. Uh, so that is my thing. You know, I, I, I always talk to somebody and I said, okay, if you're telling me in one week, you're going to deliver that. Uh, and if you do it in two weeks, and if you deliver a damn good product, you're still unreliable because you did it in two weeks. Uh, so th that is, again, because in, in, in my surrounding, that, uh, that is very important. I care about that a lot. That's a very good point. And I think a lot of people in creative industries can relate to that because deadlines are like notorious in the in the creative world exactly yeah. um so i i relate to that so much um wonderful and, and very well said nima i just uh want to thank you again for for giving me your time today um and and before we say goodbye do you have any any finishing remarks anything you want to leave us with um, so, uh, you know, because of, uh, everybody's sending me messages on Instagram and other places and asking me that, how can they engage in a conversation one-to-one -one and ask their questions, especially, uh, young artists from Iran, I created a, a channel on, uh, Clubhouse so they can, they can come over there and, uh, you know, once a month we put a room together and everybody can ask their questions or if they want to collaborate or if they want to you know, any forms of value that I can add to the audience, uh, I do that. So uh, it's good for, for people who don't know about it. They join Clubhouse and join the Nimani channel and uh, get involved in a positive conversation. Amazing. That's that's wonderful. I think I do follow you on Clubhouse and, and you're in some very interesting rooms. Um, so wherever you're listening to this podcast, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on IGTV, um, take a look in, this, in the description and you will find all the information on Nima and Nima Nee. So his Instagram website and his Clubhouse username. Um, thank you again and goodbye for now. Thank you so much. Thank you for the time and looking forward to, to hearing the live piece. Mm -hmm.